of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Hello, everyone listening. Thank you for joining me on the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. I'm here discussing uh, issues related to worship, theology, and sometimes culture. Today is definitely a worship-related topic. Uh, In fact, it is specifically a music, uh, congregational singing-related topic. Um, I am, like most worship leaders, a, a musician, and so this is a topic that I can discuss uh, that that I know a lot about and have had a lot of experience about. And the topic I want to discuss today is uh, the benefits of setting new text to familiar tunes. And I want to give you four reasons why I think it's beneficial to do so. Um, for centuries, the church has utilized familiar tunes with a variation of, of texts um, in congregational worship. And those who have studied church music and hymnody are probably familiar with the crossover between texts and tunes and meters. Um, and in fact, only in recent years has it been common to associate a particular tune with only one set of texts. An example of that is Amazing Grace. If you look in the hymnal, for those of you that have hymnals and don't use them as doorstops, um, by the way, there's great benefit, I think, to using hymnals, not the least of what uh, of which is uh, the church's sight reading and music reading ability. There's there are so many benefits to using hymnals. Uh, the tune, uh, the the text of Amazing Grace that we are typically familiar with, is set to a tune called New Britain. And so, if you were to hear somebody play, ha, da, 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 you would, uh, many people would say, hey, that's the tune of Amazing Grace. They would be wrong in that because it is not the tune of Amazing Grace. The tune name is New Britain. The text name is Amazing Grace. Um, and just, just to give you, if you don't know much about this, take a hymnal, uh, most hymnals, particularly a Baptist hymnal, open it up down at the bottom of the hymn. Uh, of the hymn number, um, say, Amazing Grace in the 1993 or 94 version of the Baptist hymnal. I believe that is hymn number 330 down at the bottom. Uh, It will have the hymn tune name written as New Britain, and there will be a meter. It will say 8686. What that's referring to is each line of text and each phrase of music has eight syllables or eight... um, uh, notes to it, uh, and then the next line is six, the next is eight, the next is six, so on and so forth. And you could take any 8686 text or tune and interchange them. And for centuries, that was a common practice. Um, and so I, I still do that in my uh, church. And I think there are marvelous benefits to setting new text, not just old text, but new text to familiar tunes. And, and such a practice really can help both the worship leader and the congregation. And I want to give four reasons to employ this practice, to set new text to familiar tunes. Um, understand I'm talking specifically about new text, not just old text. So um, the first reason to do this is 
familiarity. Um, it's beneficial to both the congregation and the worship leader. If a song or a tune is familiar, uh, the congregation sings more boldly. And those of us who are worship leaders know this for a fact. If it's a familiar tune, the congregation is going to sing it well. Um, and the worship leader is more confident in his or her leadership as well. Um, you might have never led Matt Boswell's Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery uh, in your congregation, uh, which is, by the way, a, a new hymn, a modern hymn that, that we employ at our church uh, quite often. Um, but say you've never led that hymn, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. You could take the text and set it to the Nettleton tune, uh, which is a familiar tune that we usually use to the text of Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. So you could take the Nettleton tune and take the Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery tune, uh, a text, and, and set it to that Nettleton tune. And in that way, the congregation is familiar with the tune, and they're able to sing this new text. And so rather than singing, come thou fount of every blessing, you, you would have come behold the wondrous mystery. And so you have this familiar tune, and yet it's a fresh text, a new text. And so many modern hymns, I'll give you some example, Matt Boswell and Keith and Kristen Getty, these are or modern uh, hymn writers, many of them engage easy melodies, so familiar familiarity is usually not an issue. Uh, usually these tunes are written, to, they're, they're pretty easy to pick up on anyway. But a, an even more familiar tune helps the congregation uh, to sing loudly, to sing boldly, particularly those congregations that, that might consider a new song or a hymn to be a drastic change. You know, there are still those churches that exist that uh, might say, well, this in Christ alone is new. <laughs> well, you can take that text and set it to a more familiar tune. Uh, the text is great. It's wonderful. And the tune's wonderful too, but um, it, it might be easier for some congregations to use that new text to a familiar tune. And so the, the congregation then feels emboldened and empowered to sing rather than frightened or even violated to the newness. Um, second uh, reason that I would say it's good to set new text to familiar tunes, is the freshness of the text. Um, when we sing a text in the same way over and over again, we often disassociate the meaning and theological importance it conveys. And so by setting new text to familiar tunes, a freshness of meaning can be realized by worshipers. And the theological truths don't change, but over time, the way we state them certainly does. Uh, different generations have different things that they relate to, different ways that they express themselves. And so when we sing a new text to the familiar tunes, our minds are more than likely uh, going to shift from passivity to activity. In other words, we are thinking, we are actively engaged in the text. Uh, and then it allows us to realize these timeless truths that are articulated in the text and in a variation of ways. And additionally, we can sing the text confidently because we're familiar with the mode of singing in the tune. And so the freshness of text can surely revive the theological truths in our, in our lives that might otherwise grow routine and stagnant. So the freshness is a good way, uh, a good reason to employ new text and set it to familiar tunes. A third reason I would say is 
it's an easy introduction of of new songs and hymns. Now, I, I say this coming from the perspective of a song and hymn writer. I myself write hymns and songs, and and I often set freshly composed texts to familiar tunes before introducing the new tune itself that I have written. This habit eases the congregation into familiarity with the song or the hymn, Okay, so they, they get an idea of the text first before we start singing the newly composed tune that I have written. And so however, um, how a worship leader introduces new music is really a vital part of the job. Um, and I would say the process of introducing new music undoubtedly varies between worshiping contexts, so from church to church, from leader to leader. But worship leaders need to consider the best approach for introducing new music in their own context. And so for my current congregation, slower is usually better. And so if I introduce a new text by setting it to a familiar tune first, when the new tune is introduced, the congregation has at least some relationship with the song already through the text that they have been singing. And so in that case, the song is not an abrupt shift from their norm. And so setting new text to familiar tunes uh, helps both the congregation and the worship leader. Worship leaders need to realize their duty to help the people in their mission field, their church, worship. And if a worship leader hinders that experience, they fail in their duty. And so while new songs present a vital element, I think, of the worship experience in any local church, setting a new text to familiar tunes can greatly assist in the introduction of new music. And so uh, that's yet another benefit um, and the final benefit and the reason I would say it's good to introduce new text to familiar tunes is the elimination of the sacred and secular divide. Uh, often we think of music and really other things in this world as sacred and secular, and there's this divide between the two. But in God's economy, there's no divide between sacred and and secular. What I mean by that is God has created all things for his good pleasure and will. And it's humankind that has corrupted what God has made good. So setting new text to familiar tunes helps eliminate this false divide. Um, in this case, I would suggest not only using hymn tunes, but secular tunes as well. Uh, but let me give you a word of caution. Um, a worship leader's goal should not be to put the cool factor on a song by secularizing it, but rather to use the available tools at his or her discretion to glorify God through congregational worship. And so I have no problem with using a secular, maybe even popular tune, um, but we need to be careful and use wisdom when we do so. If a tune hinders the worship experience, it really should not be used. Uh, and, and this is definitely contextual. Secular tunes have different impacts on different congregations. Many of our known hymn tunes that we use today, people don't even realize this sometimes, they were once secular tunes, many of them, um, but are still used for congregational worship today. And so maybe a new association with these tunes has been created, and perhaps a new association with newer modern pop tunes even should be created as well. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, there are many examples of this, um, and there are also examples of hymn tunes that have been used in congregational worship for centuries, uh, and, and just in recent years, people began associating with 
uh, more secular um, uses. You know, one example is the old Lang Syne tune, which is um, uh, what people sing at New Year's often. That that tune um, has been used in congregational worship for for centuries. And uh, but often people would associate that as a secular tomb, even though even though it's it's not. And um, uh, we use it at our church, actually, at my my local church. We use that and set um, uh, gospel text to it. And so we need to be mindful of the fact that God intends for all resources and gifts to glorify Him. Worship leadership requires wisdom, guidance from the Holy Spirit, and and really learning by failing at times. Uh, sometimes the best lessons we get are when we fail. On a personal note, I've had tremendous success um, of setting new text to familiar tunes. Um, the practice, I don't think, is absolutely necessary, um, and, and certainly not in every context. Still, it could be bene- beneficial, though. Uh, hymn tunes are, are written with singability in mind, usually. In other words, they're easy to pick up on, easy to easy to sing. And so when a theological truth is presented through a new text, a timeless theological truth, but it's presented through a new text, maybe in a different way, a familiar hymn tune can help both the congregation and the worship leader. The people are emboldened and empowered to sing. And so I've given you four points here, and, and it, it really they illustrate the, the primary reasons of, of setting new text to familiar tunes, and this is a practice that's been done throughout the centuries. And uh, I, I'm sometimes shocked at the number of worship leaders that don't realize that you how easily you can do that. And so let us, as the people of God, sing with joy, sing with boldness, and really a fresh realiza- uh, realization of timeless truths uh, through the melodies that we employ to glorify triune God. Um, we are called to sing. We're a singing people. So let us do so wisely, boldly, confidently, uh, with love and grace, and uh, let us blend the resources that we have, old and new, new texts, new tunes, old texts, old tunes. Use it all for the glory of God. Thank you for listening. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Do-do-do-do. Do-do-do-do.